Hello and welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. Today we are going to give commentary on one of the Gospel Topics essays called Plural Marriage in Kirtland and Nauvoo. And I'm here with America. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to introduce myself. (laughs) Okay, so we're just going to go by paragraph by paragraph and just give commentary where we feel like it. This is going to be so exciting. (laughs) Plural Marriage in Kirtland and Nauvoo. Plural Marriage in Kirtland and Nauvoo. March 2023. Latter-day Saints believe that monogamy, the marriage of one man and one woman, is the Lord's standing law of marriage. In biblical times, the Lord commanded some of his people to practice plural marriage, the marriage of one man and more than one woman. Some early members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints also received and obeyed this commandment given through God's prophets. Pause. I think that is false. What? First of all, marriage between one man and one woman is not the Lord's standing law. The standing law... They call the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. That's what polygamy is. Okay. So, so that's the standing law because it is everlasting. So I don't understand why they're saying that. But also this footnote here, I'm curious to go to it. Footnote two. Okay, so we can't trust doctrine and covenants because that's Joseph's opinion. And then Jacob is also Joseph's opinion, which is also like in Jacob two in this footnote of... Uh, the Lord commanded people to practice plural marriage. Jacob 2 only gives the exception of of if they raise up seed. But also let's look at Genesis 16. Let's see if there's anywhere in here that God commands. Okay, so nowhere. So even in the church's own footnote in Genesis 16, there's nowhere that God actually commands Abram, who becomes Abraham, to live the law of polygamy. Yeah, if you read it, it says that Sarai, Sarai, is that how you pronounce that? Yeah. Sarai is the one who gives her handmaiden, Hagar, to Abram. And God just is like, all right, you had children. You have lots of children. Like, there's nowhere where he commands yeah, nowhere. them to. It's, it's just what's, what was going on. Because women were property, and it looks like women owned other property that are people. So Sarai had Hagar as her servant, and then Abram basically has Sarai as his servant. So it's, to me, it kind of looks like a hierarchy. I don't, I'm not a biblical scholar, so don't quote me on those. Okay, so going back to this, so so right away, the first two little things are just false. This it's polygamy is the standing law, and God has never commanded anyone in any of the scriptures to live, or well, He's never commanded anyone in the Old and New Testament to live polygamy. Shady, 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 and um, not direct or correct. Okay, continuing on. After receiving a revelation commanding him to practice plural marriage, Joseph Smith married multiple wives and introduced the practice to close associates. This principle was among the most challenging aspects of the Restoration, for Joseph personally and for other church members. Plural marriage tested faith and provoked controversy and opposition. Few Latter-day Saints initially welcomed the restoration of a biblical practice entirely foreign to their sensibilities— but many later testified of powerful spiritual experiences that helped them overcome their hesitation and gave them courage to accept this practice. I think that's all conjecture. This seems all opinionated. And many, um, many later testified of, of spiritual experiences. Okay, well, that's probably true. But, like, the, the them repeating over and over again about hesitating. Um, um, yeah, it was not hard for Joseph personally, except for that it got him killed. Oh, yeah. Well, there are certainly some members that didn't like it. Like Oliver Cowdery, that's why he was excommunicated. Um, This is why William Law's printing press was burned down, because he Mm -hmm. was going to expose Joseph. So, like, sure, there were people in the church that were hesitant to live the law of polygamy. I don't think Joseph was one of them because of how many women Mm -hmm. he married and the the types of women he did marry. Like, 
really young ones and sisters. And married. Women who were already married. (laughs) Although the Lord commanded the adoption, and later the cessation, of plural marriage in the latter days, he did not give exact instructions on how to obey the commandment. Significant social and cultural changes often include misunderstandings and difficulties. Church leaders and members experienced these challenges as they heeded the command to practice plural marriage, and again later as they worked to discontinue it after church president Wilford Woodruff issued an inspired statement known as the Manifesto in 1890, which led to the end of plural marriage in the church. Through it all, church leaders and members sought to follow God's will. Are they gaslighting us on the second manifesto? <laughs> like, like that's not, oh my gosh. Okay, so. Wait, wait. No, no, no. Because it says they, he issued an inspired statement known as the manifesto, which led to the end of plural marriage. It does so not the say first that manifesto led to the second manifesto, which eventually led to the to ending the end. of plural marriage. 30 years later. Yeah. So, so we know that plural marriages were still happening in the 1920s. That there was just well known. The church tried to keep it a secret. They were just doing it behind just closed it. doors. Also, they were all secretive about it. Also, my other thought was that it says they weren't given exact instructions. If if it's so important that God is going to send an angel multiple times with an angel with a flaming to sword or a drawn lives. sword to threaten lives. Why wouldn't he give exact instructions? That just is copping out. Well, we didn't know exactly what God meant. So we were like, well, I don't know, 14-year-olds. I don't know, other people's wives. It's it's just not clear. Like, what the heck? Also, hang on. I I just had another thought. Okay, so God is so good in the Old Testament, or even the New Testament, at giving very clear instructions. So you look at the building of, of Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. He gives exact instructions. Yeah. And even with Solomon's temple, he gives exact instructions. And Nephi. Like, or that guy who, like, accidentally leaned on the Ark of the Covenant and then immediately died. Like, <laughs> you know what you knew what the rules were, bud. So you're going to die because you touched this thing. Well, they have like, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all these books that are exact but rules. But he's not going to be exact follow. about this. He's not going to be exact thing about that <laughs> hugely affects half the population of his church. Oh, especially if you can't get... You, Brigham Young, I think, was the one who taught that you can't actually receive, or even Joseph Smith, you can't receive exaltation unless you enter polygamy. Mm-hmm. So why this is God's perfect chance and our opportunity to give clear, definite instructions because he's sending this angel multiple times to Joseph Smith. The angel was just like, you better do it, bud. Okay, bye. And, like, that's all he said. <laughs> Go marry her right now. Okay, bye. Yeah. That's it. That was no further... I, I wait for their instructions. No. Also, like if I don't, the the part of the that I don't believe is of God, because as a member of the church, I did believe believe that polygamy was of God, but learning that he married other men's wives, husbands who were faithful members of the church who had no business being sealed to Joseph mm-hmm. Smith. They were having children. This is this is, I I don't know I don't understand a God who would who would make that okay who would who would. Let that happen? Like, or encourage oh, it to I, I happen, wasn't, according God to asked me, Smith. God told me to live polygamy, and I didn't. I wasn't certain, so I, was, I just married a whole bunch of other men's wives, other faithful members' wives. What, what did you just say? I talked over you. Or that, he, that supposedly God encouraged or told him to marry these women who oh. already had husbands. Oh, exactly. He said, like, that doesn't yes, make and any then, sense. And then Joseph approached a lot of these women and said that they were meant, they were his in the life before this one. And so... <laughs> Why didn't God stop her from marrying the first husband? Yeah. Like. Also, the church does not teach predestined. No, it doesn't. In fact, so Uchtdorf in in the 2012, I don't remember when he said it. 
But he said that we do not believe in soulmates. And if that's the case, Joseph, <laughs> what was he doing? Was he just, that's just another sign to me that he was totally going rogue and just totally doing, making his own stuff up. Yeah. Is it rogue if you started the whole movement? I guess not. <laughs> I guess I not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, we can go to the next paragraph. Right, Many details about the early practice of plural marriage are unknown. Plural marriage was introduced among the early saints incrementally, and participants were asked to keep their actions confidential. They did not discuss their experiences publicly or in writing until after the Latter-day Saints had moved to Utah and church leaders had publicly acknowledged the practice. The historical record of early plural marriage is therefore thin. Few records of the time provide details, and later reminiscences are not always reliable. Some ambiguity will always accompany our knowledge about this issue. Like the participants, we see through a glass darkly and are asked to walk by faith. How true is that? Wait, which part? That we don't have any records. Don't we have, like, a lot of journal entries from the women? Well, it says we have few records, right? Am I reading that wrong? Yeah, few and records not always of the reliable. provide details. Yeah. So some records, okay, this was, this is another thought I had is that they had to leave. They weren't open about it until they left, right? Uh-huh. So, so it wasn't until they reached the Salt Lake Valley that they, that they were no longer under the government's rule. So, so all the other times in Kurland and Nauvoo and elsewhere, it was against the law mm-hmm. to live polygamy. So, so it was very secretive. They had code words. If you look in their journals, they're, they're all in code and the women tried, they, People tried not to talk about it, especially to write it down because it was because it was illegal. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to be found out and things like that. So like and it was extremely scandalous. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so the historical record is thin, but it's not void. It's like and in fact, I think there's enough places and enough of these wives because he he has documented at least 35. So like there's enough of these women who have written enough to know that, that he did consummate a lot of them, that those ceilings did actually happen. And that it was problematic with their marriages. Like, I don't I don't know how to get around that. Like, I like how it said it was introduced incrementally and not just only Joseph's buddies who he really was sure that he could trust one by one by one. Yeah. And only the women who, like, were kind of trapped with him and um, couldn't, like, I don't know, like, how many of them were basically his charges oh yeah that, that was a pattern of joseph smith to marry women who were living with him or he he at one point lived with mm-hmm. that's a very that's a very obvious pattern that he develops the beginnings of plural marriage in the church the revelation on plural marriage was not written down until 1843 but its early verses suggest that part of it emerged from joseph smith's study of the old testament in 1831 people who knew joseph well later stated he received the revelation about that time The revelation, recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 132, states that Joseph prayed to know why God justified Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and Solomon in having many wives. The Lord responded that he had commanded them to enter into the practice. Hang on. I want to see footnote four. So people who knew Joseph well stated he received this revelation about the time in 1831. Reports of elders Orson Pratt and Joseph F. Smith. I don't see evidence of that. I'll have to look these ones up because these ones are published in 1887, 1878, and then later in the 19th, the 1900s. So like way 40 years later. So in the Doctrine and Covenants, the 1835 edition, there is a DNC 101, 
which is the statement on marriage. And it says in there very specifically that marriage is between one man and one woman. But they're trying to say that he was receiving the doctrine of plural marriage in 1831, which is four years difference between when he... So why would he be receiving revelation in 1831 saying polygamy is right, but then receiving revelation in 35 saying only one man and one woman? They have to do this. They're trying to backdate polygamy to 1831 because Fanny Alger happened in 1833. And that would make her... That would make her adultery. Mm-hmm. So they have to they have to backdate that. that but I need I'm I'm interested to look those up. And also the Lord commanding them to live that practice. Again, nowhere else in the Bible does it say this. He's Joseph's using his own understanding of the Bible to justify this. If you read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, David, and Solomon, nowhere does God command to live polygamy. Also, that's such a weird wording, like justified my servants and oh that's right like he's justifying them instead of commanding them like i'm justifying it's a sin it's it's wrong yeah that's true what a weird word okay so we just looked through the footnotes so we looked at the the plural marriage historical record for 1887 and they're just it just says fanny alger one of the first plural wives sealed to joseph smith or sealed to the prophet. It's just, that, that's, like it's just a little blurb. Um, the, it's so de- so that's not even, that's not really a source. They're just saying, oh, Fanny Alger is one of his wives. And she happened in 1833, I believe. So. And then so th- the, the next one is a, um, like a journal entry. And it just mentions meeting John- Ly- Lyman Johnson. It just so- mentions meeting him. And that's. So on Fair Mormon, they say, Lyman Johnson also reportedly heard the doctrine from Joseph Smith. But if we go to the source, which is the report, the report of elders Orson Pratt and Joseph F. Smith on December 16th of 1878, we've just read this report and there's nothing in here about polygamy. It just says that they They meet the Johnsons, um, but I... Does not talk about anything, just like they ask him if they can stay and like... Mrs. Johnson was like, uh, I guess, and she like is like looking back and says, at this she and her brother look strangely at each other and then at me. <laughs> that, yeah. This is just like a weird interaction. I'll have to look more else. into this because this footnote doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah. so we'll just put that one on hold. And then the other one is just quoting this last source that they give is as a Daniel W. Bachman, and he's just quoting the first, the second source, the Millennial Star, the one with that the one that we don't understand. Right. So it's, I, I don't understand why they're giving. It's very that circular. One. So this, this person is also quoting the source that we that we're sourcing. So we're going to source them too. <laughs> anyway, okay. So moving on. Wait, um, this just reminds me of Hugh Nibley's <laughs> footnotes. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Wait, did we talk about that yet? So, um, so America read. Did we already discuss this? I don't know. I don't. I don't think we did. So America, America read the book. But, so but- I read for you, "No, ma'am, that's not history" by Hugh Nibley, and he is just wild. I don't know if you guys have listened to that episode or if you've read that book. He's just wild about throwing out accusations. So I also read the book "Leaving the Saints" by Martha Beck, and in it, and like you have to take her word for it. You know, there's there's that. Um, but if you do take her word for it, she says that her father, Hugh Nibley, would make up footnotes. And, like, sometimes he'd throw out footnotes and 
um, the people who were fact, like, not fact checking him, but like, editing his work, editing his work they'd be like, this doesn't make sense. Um, it's like related sometimes, but like, does not mean the thing that you are trying to say it means. And sometimes it was the opposite of what he was trying yeah, to say. Sometimes it didn't imply the exact opposite of what he was trying to say. Yeah. Sort of and, like what I feel like the church is doing right now in the in yes. these essays. <laughs> it's very circular, like, uh, it's true because I say it's true kind of a thing. Well, and the only reason we have to take her word for it is because we personally have not done this research. Mm-hmm. It's just that her, she was talking to one of the, one of his editors or something. Yeah. And he mentioned that, but like, that would be, that would not be very hard to go and to just go and figure out if he's making up his. Yeah. Because, like I saw, I have four of his books right here that I could easily pull out and check. check like, his well, like if you, if anybody pushes that and says, no, he's a hundred percent true all the time. You know, just spend <laughs> some time. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Latter-day Saints understood that they were living in the latter days in what the revelations called the dispensation of the fullness of times. Ancient principles such as prophets, priesthood, and temples would be restored to the earth. Plural marriage was one of those ancient principles. But again, because God never commanded it, it should not be an ancient principle. You know, I've never understood. This is just a side note that has nothing to do with anything. What does fullness of times mean? I thought it meant, so in my patriarchal blessing, it says that the fullness of the gospel is here on the earth, but that's confusing because the prophets are now saying that it's an ongoing restoration and that that they will be receiving, they're still receiving things, they're still going to change things. Um, So the fullness shouldn't even, like by by the current theology, it shouldn't be the fullness of the gospel or the fullness of the dispensation. Or the dispensation of the fullness of times. I don't know what that means. Fullness of times, though. Like, that phrase right there. Fullness of times. We are just like, the time, time is full. Yeah, I don't, it's, I don't know. It's filled up. I'm just saying. It's a, it's a weird phrase. <laughs> okay, going on. Polygamy had been permitted for millennia in many cultures and religions, but, with few exceptions, was rejected in Western cultures. In Joseph Smith's time, monogamy was the only legal form of marriage in the United States. Joseph knew the practice of plural marriage would stir up public ire. After receiving the commandment, he taught a few associates about it, but he did not spread this teaching widely in the 1830s. Okay, yeah, at least they're acknowledging that, that Joseph is is breaking the law. And that's another thing that I... Okay, so the church has an article of faith, faith number 11, where it says we believe in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law, and that's one of the temple recommend questions, is that we are we honest in our dealings with our fellow men? So the church here, or Joseph Smith here, I should say, was not obeying the law, and they were not being honest. Being honest in their dealings with his wife, so, his other. And they are, they still aren't doing. Like they still aren't obeying the law. Oh, the like, church. Oh, well, the church so, continues to do that. So, like, I guess in my so, mind, because like, if you read the Bible stories where it's like um, Daniel was, they were, he was told he couldn't pray, but he prays even more, and then he gets thrown to the lion's den. So, like, there. So there's some, some biblical exceptions where it's like the righteous have to break the law in order to live the higher law. Um, so I'm guessing that's how they justify this. Um, because they're above the law. They're above the law, just like the the shell companies well, then what now. what is with the article faith 11? It, What's the I, point? <laughs> there is no point. Why aren't they just like, for, for burn us, it all down, this. make way for Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, also, this is interesting to talk about that... Um, I recently heard people talk about, heard a discussion of Leonard Arrington's autobiography and then D. Michael Quinn's autobiography. And these are two Mormon historians. 
And in both of their autobiographies, they both admit to to lying for the church and that they both regretted it. And wow. and I thought that was that was pretty big. So like um the that just feels icky. It does. It really does. It feels so. really icky. I would hate to have to lie for the religion that teaches me to be honest, true, chaste, benevolent, and virtuous. Like, yeah. that's, yeah, that's icky. Yeah, I agree. Also, why are they breaking up that polygamy was <laughs> permitted in many cultures? Like, it's it like, everybody else was doing it. It was totally fine. It was just America that wasn't fine with it. And it was like, <laughs> ugh. I just thought that was funny. When God commands a difficult task, he sometimes sends additional messengers to encourage his people to obey. Consistent with this pattern, Joseph told associates that an angel appeared to him three times between 1834 and 1842 and commanded him to proceed with plural marriage when he hesitated to move forward. During the third and final appearance, the angel came with a drawn sword, threatening Joseph with destruction unless he went forward and obeyed the commandment fully. So some of the sources, some of the wives say it's a flaming sword instead of just a drawn sword. So I just, just am pointing that out. <laughs> so he only had an angel appear to him three times. Yeah. But he used that line. That's just like one he of his He used it on lines. like all of the women. And I don't think he used it on all the women, but he certainly know. did several of them. And uh, yeah. The angel appeared between 1834 and 1842. Again, Fanny Alger was 1833. Oh, and this was just so hard for him. And to also, thirty-four. Move so again, the Doctrine and Covenants, um, eighteen thirty-five, um, says that it's one man and one woman. So the angel was even disobeying the, or going against the scriptures. Like, I guess it's the uh, we have to lie to live the higher law. I don't, I don't understand that part. But yuck. Yeah. So as a member of the church, I remember writing an essay for the Mound Rovers website, um, justifying Joseph Smith being threatened by an angel with a flaming sword because if you look at it if you look up these stories angels appear all the time threatening people my favorite story is balaam and he tries to go and help the king and his donkey starts speaking to him it's probably the best story in the bible (laughs) in the old testament so it's it's very common for people to be um threatened with angels but i think this is just joseph's way of getting out of it because he knows that Fragmentary evidence suggests that Joseph Smith acted on the angel's first command by marrying a plural wife, Fanny Alger, in Kirtland, Ohio, in the mid-1830s. Several Latter-day Saints who had lived in Kirtland reported decades later that Joseph Smith had married Alger, who lived and worked in the Smith household, after he had obtained her consent and that of her parents. Little is known about this marriage, and nothing is known about the conversations between Joseph and Emma regarding Alger. After the marriage with Alger ended in separation, Joseph seems to have set the subject of plural marriage aside until after the church moved to Nauvoo, Illinois. <laughs> this is, like, not at all what I've read. What, what, what do you recall? Um, I read that Emma was pissed about Fanny and threw her out. Um, I did not read anything about them actually having a, a quote-unquote marriage and that it ended in separation. She got thrown out. Am I wrong? Oh, no, that's what I understand. Okay, so I think secondhand stories exist of Oliver Cowdery or Emma finding them in the barn and then, then she throws him out. She Or she throws Fanny out. And that's what... But, but we know for sure that, that Oliver did not like... This, this affair. He called it a dirty, nasty, filthy affair with Fanny. Mm-hmm. And Joseph didn't like that, so he excommunicated him. So, 
hang on. So what I'm interested here. Okay. So one of these sources, it says on the church's footnotes, it says, and now as to your question, how early did the prophet Joseph practice polygamy? In 1835 at Kirtland, I learned from my sister's husband, Lyman R. Sherman, who was close to the prophet and received it from him, that the ancient order of plural marriage was again to be practiced by the church. This at the time did not impress my mind deeply, although there lived then with his family the prophets, a neighbor's daughter, Fanny Alger, a very nice and comely young woman about my own age, towards whom not only myself but everyone seemed partial, for the amiability of her character, and it was whispered even then that Joseph loved her. Mm-hmm. So they're dating, he's dating this to 1835. And uh, still the same, that's when DNC 101 was published, saying that we, that it was between one man and one woman. Like, so the other footnote that they give is from, it says, according to Mosiah Hancock writing, writing in 1896, Joseph did not approach Fanny directly, which was another practice of Joseph's. He would, he would get it, he would become friends with a male person and then he would send them to go and ask the females for for his hand, for her hand in marriage. And so this sounds like nonsense. Do, can you read it? Yeah. So it says Levi first approached Samuel Alger, Fanny's father. Is this according to who? Mosiah Hancock, written written in 1896, 60 years later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this is what he says. Samuel, the prophet Joseph loves your daughter Fanny and wishes her for a wife. What say you? Uncle Sam says, go and talk to the old woman, Levi's sister and Fanny's mother, about it. Twill be as she says. Father goes to his sister and says, Clarice, brother Joseph, the prophet of the most high God, loves Fanny and wishes her for a wife. What say you? Said she, go and talk to Fanny. Go and talk to Fanny. It will be all right with me. Father goes to Fanny and says, Fanny, brother Joseph, the prophet loves you and wishes you for a wife. Will you be his wife? I will, Levi, says she. Father takes Fanny to Joseph and says, Brother Joseph, I have been successful in my mission. Father gave her to Joseph, repeating the ceremony as Joseph repeated to him. <laughs> That's just... It sounds like some kind of nursery rhyme or something. It does. It sounds like a nursery rhyme or like a... Like, or like, a go into... How do they do it in, in the temple where they just like repeat? Like, go and ask him. Oh, to, tell him. Very, go and say temple. it to so-and-so. Yeah, it just sort of unfolds like a... Like a nursery rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> this, um, this does not sound right. It's the, what's Who's going to be like, yeah, no, it's fine with me if our daughter marries a man who's already married. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Just ask her if it's it's, if it's all right with me if, if she's down. <laughs> oh, but also, hang on. They use this footnote to justify when he gave, when he learned about polygamy. Nowhere does it say a date here. It's just... It's just just this conversation. Oh, I guess they were using this as to say that he got consent from the parents. But like you said, this does seem sort of like nonsense. Hold on, I want to read this. This says, Eliza was well acquainted with Fanny Alger. Eliza's proximity to the events is important because in 1886, she personally wrote Fanny's name on a list of Joseph Smith's wives, affirming the relationship was a marriage. Oh, so yeah, there's, I think there's like two, two dominating lists from Joseph Smith's, from two of his wives who made a list of all of his plural wives. So Eliza R. Snow made one of them, and I can't remember who made the other one. I'll have to look that up. But so that's what they go off of. They go off of. And some of them are missing. Some of them are not present on both. Um, but so this is saying that even Eliza R. Snow wrote down Fanny's name. Oh, wait. Listen right here. 
<clears throat> Things didn't go well for Joseph and Fanny. In an 1872 letter from William McClellan to Joseph Smith III, McClellan recalls details of an 1847 conversation with Emma Smith, where Emma acknowledged that in the spring of 1836, she missed Joseph and Fanny Alger. She went to the barn and saw him and Fanny in the barn together alone. She looked through a crack and saw the transaction. She told me this story, too, was verily true. What Emma witnessed is not specified, whether it was the plural marriage ceremony, an exchange of affection, or even sexual relations, we are not told. Okay, so yeah, secondhand account. And so then later here it says Oliver Cowdery, who Joseph summoned to defuse the situation, sided with Emma, discounting the validity of the polygamous marriage and later referring to it as a dirty, nasty, filthy scrape. It is obvious Emma did not believe the ceremony was valid and concluded the relationship was adulterous. Well, it is adulterous. So. She has not been taught at polygamy. She's not taught it mm -hmm. for another 10 years. In Emma's point of view, because it is, she's correct, it is adultery. Mm -hmm. Just like with Oliver Cowdery, this is, there's nowhere else to interpret this. But also, they dated that at 1836. Yeah, that's interesting. Why did they date that 1836? So, William writes a letter to Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith III, and he said he heard this himself from Emma. So, secondhand, I guess right now we're getting it thirdhand from Joseph Smith. So, Emma to William to Joseph Smith III. But it's a letter, so maybe that's still secondhand. Mm -hmm. Okay, anyway. Plural marriage and eternal marriage. The same revelation that taught of plural marriage was part of a larger revelation given to Joseph Smith, that marriage could last beyond death, and that eternal marriage was essential to inheriting the fullness that God desires for his children. As early as 1840, Joseph Smith privately taught Apostle Parley P. Pratt that the heavenly order allowed Pratt and his wife to be together for time and all eternity. Joseph also taught that men like Pratt, who had remarried following the death of his first wife, could be married or sealed to their wives for eternity under the proper conditions. Wait, so my thoughts are... What, did you have thoughts on that one? Uh-uh. So I guess my only thought was that as a member of the church, I thought that the only justified polygamy was if a woman's husband died and she needed someone to take care of her because it's scandalous to have a man take care of you who's not your husband. So in order to get by the scandal, you have to marry to them. So... So a man can have two wives, provided one of them has a deceased husband. That's how I said it. Like, like even on my mission, I taught that Joseph Smith was was marrying widows and I guess single women. But we know that he married 11 women who were already married. I think of all 35 women, only one of them was the law, was this way uh, a widow. So her husband so had only, died. Only one I of think. the 35 was a widow. Because I know he married some mother-daughter pairs. He married sister pairs too, but I, I, no, and I, I don't know for certain, but I think that only one of them was. And not a single one of them had any babies. Nobody had any seed to raise up to the kingdom of God. The sealing of husband and wife for eternity was made possible by the restoration of priesthood keys and ordinances. On April 3rd, 1836, the Old Testament prophet Elijah appeared to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery in the Kirtland Temple and restored the priesthood keys necessary to perform ordinances for the living and the dead, including sealing families together. Marriages performed by priesthood authority could link loved ones to each other for eternity on condition of righteousness. Marriages performed without this authority would end at death. I guess my thoughts were... Um... The restoration of priesthood keys, we don't, yeah, <laughs> the priesthood wasn't actually restored. <laughs> Oliver added that later into the scriptures. So in the Book of Commandments and the Doctrine and Covenants, the priesthood isn't really talked about. Yeah, and another thing is other Christian religions don't believe that families are going to be pulled apart. Like, 
you don't have that like there's no condition of righteousness to be with your family you can just if you made it to heaven you're with your family like either you're in heaven or hell and if your family's in heaven you're all together like there's not this oh well only if you got married in the temple and paid all of your tithing and also um yeah the, the, yeah, the base of the church's teachings is families cannot be together forever unless you unless. do all of these things yeah unless yeah that they, they, their biggest teaching is families can be together forever. And, like, literally all the other Christian religions are like, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, why, what's with all these extra hoops you have to jump through? Yeah. Like, what kind of loving God is, like, you can only be with your family forever if you complete all of these side quests? <laughs> <laughs> Marriage performed by priesthood authority meant that the procreation of children and perpetuation of families would continue into the eternities. Joseph Smith's revelation on marriage declared that the continuation of the seeds forever and ever helped to fulfill God's purposes for his children. This promise was given to all couples who were married by priesthood authority and were faithful to their covenants. Reading this as a woman who has had children... A child. Joseph Smith's revelation on marriage declared that the continuation of the seed forever and ever... It's... we're just going to go on forever. You're, all of us poor wives are just going to have babies forever and ever and ever. Forever. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not, that's not the kind of doctrine I, I'm part of. Uh, I would like a refund, please. I do not want this experience. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah, like uh, the human, the human beings were made such that we only, we only have a window of a small window in the middle of our lives where we can actually bear and raise children. Um, we're then... not meant to have children in our in our 80s and 60s, and we want to break. For the rest of eternity. Plural marriage in Nauvoo. For much of Western history, family interest, economic, political, and social considerations, dominated the choice of spouse. Parents had the power to arrange marriages or forestall unions of which they disapproved. By the late 1700s, romance and personal choice began to rival these traditional motives and practices. By Joseph Smith's time, many couples insisted on marrying for love, as he and Emma did when they eloped against her parents' wishes. Whoa. This is against the pattern that Joseph was just demonstrating. So, parents had the power to arrange marriages and to stop marriages. So, Joseph approaches a a man, who then approaches a woman, who then he asks through the man to marry the woman. Or he goes through the parents, like Kimball. Women are property still. They, they aren't marrying for love because some of these women were not in love with Joseph Smith. In fact, I would probably say that they, probably many of them weren't. Like, I know Eliza R. Snow did love him. And she was very fond of him. I don't think she, I think she was fond of him because he was the prophet. And also the idea of consent to a prophet of God, to the man you think speaks for God and who has seen God. I, I don't know that he can actually get consent from a woman. Unless he says... Zero consequences will happen to you if you refuse me. She doesn't have consent. Because he literally says to these women, you will only be exalted. Your family will only be saved if you marry me. Which leads into the next uh, paragraph. Sure. Latter-day Saints' motives for plural marriage were often more religious than economic or romantic. Besides the desire to be obedient, a strong incentive was the hope of living in God's presence with family members. In the revelation on marriage... The Lord promised participants crowns of eternal lives and exaltation in the eternal worlds. Men and women, parents and children, ancestors and progeny were to be sealed to each other, their commitment lasting into the eternities, consistent with Jesus' promise that priesthood ordinances performed on earth could be bound in heaven. 
Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, more religious than economic or romantic. So they're acknowledging that. This is, this is just a religious duty to, to marry the prophet. Did you have other thoughts? I had a thought on sealing. Because if we're all going to be sealed in the eternities, if everyone who makes it to heaven will be sealed to everyone, what's the point of sealing? I feel like the main part of heaven is that you're with your spouse, your opposite gendered spouse, making babies forever. Like you're just going to be with your spouse or not. I mean, depending on if she's, I don't know. I know. I used to think about that when they were like, oh, families can be together forever. Do you want to live with your, your parents for eternity? But like. Once they've grown up and gotten married to their own spouse, they're not going to be with you for eternity. They're right. going to be somewhere else by themselves. And you're going to be by yourselves, like the two of you, making your, your own planets, right? Well, like pre-2021, that was my mindset, is that we were all having our own planets. Like, But but I guess currently that's not <laughs> that's not a church teaching. They will have our own planets. Um, that's, just, that's because it sounds cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Or maybe it's still a doctor and they're just like, wink. Yeah. The first plural marriage in Nauvoo took place when Louisa Beeman and Joseph Smith were sealed in April 1841. Joseph married many additional wives and authorized other Latter-day Saints to practice plural marriage. The practice spread slowly at first. By June 1844, when Joseph died, approximately 29 men and 50 women had entered into plural marriage, in addition to Joseph and his wives. When the Saints entered the Salt Lake Valley in 1847, at least 196 men and 521 women had entered into plural marriages. Participants in these early plural marriages pledged to keep their involvement confidential, though they anticipated a time when the practice would be publicly acknowledged. That's Dang. over twice as many oh women. Oh my gosh. I mean, I guess that makes sense because... Well, yeah, that's what polygamy is. Also, I think it's interesting. Did they say that the angel prompted Joseph to marry Fanny? Did someone say that? Did we say that earlier? I don't, I don't think it did say that. I just think it's interesting that he waited roughly 10 years before getting the next plural wife. Like, it's because it took 10 years to convince Emma to cooperate, probably. Oh, no, no, I don't think she's aware of it yet. I don't <sighs> think she finds out until 43. Um, so disgusting. But, like, if God commands Joseph, hey, live this law, he does it once, gets caught, stops doing it, and then waits 10 years to do it again. Like, it doesn't seem like that's God's priority. Like, if an angel truly is showing up, and saying, like, dude, hey, we said to live this law that God's just silent for all that time between Fanny Alger and Louisa Beeman. Like, it just just sounds like an affair. Like, he... Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does sound, sound like, like an affair. It doesn't sound like a pattern of God to... It sounds like it took him another ten years to get up the gumption to do it again. Yeah. Was Louisa Beeman pretty? The bride is disguised in, ho- in a coat and a hat. Oh. Re- reference to a coat and a hat is singular, while secrecy of his routine appears to, to be the only description that was of Louisa? <laughs> that implemented the use of costume or camouflage. So, <laughs> Louisa dressed in drag in order to marry Joseph Smith. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> is that inappropriate to say? <laughs> I sealed her to him, and I did a good job, too. Oh, way to go, buddy. <laughs> it appears the sealing was for time and eternity and included sexual relations. Boom. Okay. Nevertheless, rumors spread. A few men unscrupulously used these rumors to seduce women to join them in an unauthorized practice, sometimes referred to as spiritual wifery. When this was discovered, the men were cut off from the church. The rumors prompted members and leaders to issue carefully worded denials. 
that denounced spiritual wifery and polygamy, but were silent about what Joseph Smith and others saw as divinely mandated celestial plural marriage. The statements emphasized that the church practiced no marital law other than monogamy, while implicitly leaving open the possibility that individuals under direction of God's living prophet might do so. When did Joseph make his famous statement about people say that I have seven wives, but I can only find one? The denials of polygamy was understood to mean the marriage of one man to more than one woman, but without church sanction. The church seems to be saying whenever they denied polygamy, they were saying, we're denying... We don't do it without church sanction. So that that's... We don't do that. What a dumb footnote. What a dumb footnote. Yeah, that's a dumb footnote. Okay, footnote 23. George A. Smith explained, anyone who will read carefully the denials as they are termed of plurality of wives in connection with the circumstances will see clearly that they denounce adultery, fornication, brutal lust, and the teaching of plurality of wives by those who were not commanded to do so. So they're just wording things carefully to get to get away with this. Yeah. Like we were commanded by the God by God and his prophet, so it doesn't count. Like we don't we don't participate in adultery, fornication, or lust. Um, but but we do do polygamy because God commanded that. Spiritual wifery. Joseph Smith and plural marriage. During the era in which plural marriage was practiced, Latter-day Saints distinguished between sealings for time and eternity and sealings for eternity only. Sealings for time and eternity included commitments and relationships during this life, generally including the possibility of sexual relations. Eternity-only sealings indicated relationships in the next life alone. Evidence indicates that Joseph Smith participated in both types of sealings. The exact number of women to whom he was sealed in his lifetime is unknown because the evidence is fragmentary. Some of the women who were sealed to Joseph Smith later testified that their marriages were for time and eternity, while others indicated that their relationships were for eternity alone. So the church here is admitting that Joseph Smith did actually have sex with some of these women. Mm-hmm. So what I don't understand is that there are people out there that there are groups of members of the church that are trying to promote this idea that Joseph Smith never had sex with any of his plural wives. that Or that Joseph didn't even live polygamy that way. There's a place in Egypt called the Nile. but this is just really because you can't get away from it we know 100% that Joseph Smith did have sexual relationships with his wives I said in one of my TikToks I haven't even backed this up yet because we're about to but like there's a I think it's on Mormon Think there's a quote that says there's more evidence that Joseph Smith had sex with his plural wives than that he saw God in Jesus Christ in 1820 because (laughs) there is no evidence that Joseph Smith (laughs) saw God in Jesus Christ and the church is here admitting even, even the church is admitting that Joseph Smith did, in fact, have sex with his plural wives. But not all of them. Some of them were for eternity alone. From from what I understand from Dan Vogel, there is evidence that at least he had sex with at least nine of them. So if he had sex with nine of them, why not all 35 of them? Well, because some of them were the mothers of his other wives, and that just seems really kinky. Well, Joseph Joseph's likes a variety of ages. <laughs> <laughs> Which one is worse, your sister or your mother? Would you want to be married to someone who is also married to your sister or to your mother? But is it very... The fundamentalist church do that all the time, right? They live with each other. They're basically sisters. Like, isn't... That's why the thing is sister wives. I think the whole thing is gross. I am not against polyamory in general. Like, if everyone's consensual, if everyone's consenting, and everyone's happy, and they're getting their needs met. And adults. Oh my gosh, yes. And not legally married or cheating on anyone else like i think that could work i don't participate in it i am deeply monogamous but joseph did not do it in any ethical and a lot of these women did not feel it did not feel consensual 
and it's not. He was saying, hiding it from him Emma. Him saying an angel with a flaming sword or a drawn sword is going to strike me it, down is yeah. not consensual. Not consensual. That's threatening. And his wife Emma should have been the first to know about any of this, and she should have been like she should have been choosing them basically. Well, but Joseph Smith came up with this this law of Sarah or tried to implement it, but then at the same time was like. There's this law of Sarah where the first wife has to approve of the, all the other wives. But also, I don't have to live that at all if I don't want to. Like, if she doesn't approve, we're just going to do it anyway. Yeah, so there's um, no point but, in the so, law of Sarah. But we're going to ask you just so that you can have the opportunity to agree. And then we're going to do whatever we want regardless. Ew, but that's so sexist and awful in every way. All of this is sexist and awful in every way. Yes, it, it really is. Okay, continuing on. Most of those sealed to Joseph Smith were between 20 and 40 years of age at the time of their sealing to him. The oldest, Fanny Young, was 56 years old. The youngest was Helen Mark Kimball, daughter of Joseph's close friends, Heber C. and Violet Marie Kimball, who was sealed to Joseph several months before her 15th birthday. Marriage at such an age inappropriate by today's standards, was legal in that era, and some women married in their mid-teens. Helen Mar Kimball spoke of her sealing to Joseph as being for eternity alone, suggesting that the relationship did not involve sexual relations. After Joseph's death, Helen remarried and became an articulate defender of him and of plural marriage. Just because a person defends a thing does not make that thing right. Yeah, there's this thing called Stockholm Syndrome... <laughs> yeah, or just indoctrination. Indoctrination. Like, well, and if you're 14 years old, when you enter in something, of course you're going to spend the rest of your life insisting that it was the right thing because you you were put into it at such a young age that has your brain forms around it as a staple of of your existence. Yeah. Like, and Helen Marr, they're not, they're only quoting, they're quoting the parts that help them. She said this was very, very hard for her. She said she was she was a ewe lamb going to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. She hated this, and she hated that she, and what which I don't understand. If he was just sealed to her, so Helen Mar in her journal says that she was cut off from social activities with other people her age, with her peers. She wasn't allowed to go out. She wasn't allowed to date because he she was his wife. It says for eternity alone, but he treated her yeah, as if which, she belonged to him. So that doesn't make sense to me. Why would it just be? Time, like, oh, if we're just sealed, but go go ahead and go get married. Mm-hmm. That that should have been what happened. Like, oh, we're just sealed. It doesn't mean anything. It, go it's and live for your eternity life. so that we can connect, be connected But that's absolutely not what that's happened. That's not the way that it seemed to work. It seemed like he he owned her. She was a married woman, and she at, had to act accordingly. At just shy of 15 years. And no, the average age back then was 21. Yes, it happened, but that's not the right age. That's not the... The average. average age. And just say 14, several months before her 15th birthday, just say 14. She was 14. That's really gross. It's really manipulative. Following his marriage to Louisa Beeman and before he married other single women, Joseph Smith was sealed to a number of women who were already married. Neither these women nor Joseph explained much about these sealings, though several women said they were for eternity alone. Other women left no records, making it unknown whether their ceilings were for time and eternity or were for eternity alone. So the church is trying to say, if you want to believe he didn't have sex with them, you you can. There's space for you to believe that. That's what. But I'm they're like not gonna. They don't explain anything about these ceilings. We just we don't know why. But he married already married women. Yeah, like, like they're already married. What is the purpose of this? 
at least they admit it, estimates of the number of these ceilings were from 12 to 14. Oh, they're using see Todd confidence in sacred loneliness. They're using that as a footnote? That's surprising to me because that book, that was, I think there's two books that I attribute to my faith transition and that's one of them. If you read Todd Compton's book, there's no way. I don't see how anyone can can keep the faith after reading that book. That's so interesting that they're using that as a footnote. Dang. I read Hale's Joseph Smith Polygamy. They're going to lose so many people over this. Like if anybody actually reads this. And, and Like if someone's like, oh, this is, look, I found this on the church's website. I'll go read it. Oh, please go read this book. There are several possible explanations for this practice. These ceilings may have provided a way to create an eternal bond or link between Joseph's family and other families within the church. These ties extended both vertically from parent to child and horizontally from one family to another. Today, such eternal bonds are achieved through the temple marriages of individuals who are also sealed to their own birth families, in this way linking families together. Joseph Smith's ceilings to women already married may have been an early version of linking one family to another. In Nauvoo, most, if not all, of the first husbands seem to have continued living in the same household with their wives during Joseph's lifetime, and complaints about these ceilings with Joseph Smith are virtually absent from the documentary record. <laughs> complaints are virtually absent? absent. I wanted to point out that Lindsay Hanson Park once said, who did the Year of Polygamy, she once said that if, the, if Joseph is just trying to seal people just to seal himself to these families that he loves, why did he pick the woman? Why did he pick the one he's attracted to? Why couldn't he just be sealed to, to Heber C. Kimball himself? Sealings between men were common. It was the adoption thing. They, they, it was like a brotherhood. You, he could absolutely be sealed to men. And there's no reason for us to think that those would have been sexual either. Like, if Joseph's just bonding families, just sealing families, why didn't he marry men? Why did he yeah, pick why the, did he pick the young, the vulnerable, 14-year-old yeah. daughter? To seal himself to and not her father it, so to or me, her that's, mother. Yeah, to me that's evidence that he these are sexual and he is attracted to them and he wants them. And here's another question. Why wasn't Emma sealed to any of them? Joseph Smith, I think, maybe it'll say this later and maybe this is the wrong number, but I think she was, I think she was wife number 19. That he was sealed to. That he was sealed to. Uh, certainly not the first. Certainly not among the first. She was well into, he'd been sealed to other ones before being sealed to her. That's just... It might not be a wife just dis- might be. Oh, might be that's so disturbing. Even after I'd found out the church was not true, I still thought Joseph Smith only had one wife. Like, I was sure that he only had one wife. Well, every depiction... We grew up with those shows where Joseph and Emma are so in love with each other. They're so in love. These ceilings may also be explained by Joseph's reluctance to enter plural marriage because of the sorrow it would bring to his wife, Emma. He may have believed that ceilings to married women would comply with the Lord's command without requiring him to have normal marriage relationships. This could explain why, according to Lorenzo Snow, the angel reprimanded Joseph for having demurred on plural marriage even after he had entered into the practice. After this rebuke, according to this interpretation, Joseph returned primarily to ceilings with single women. Another possibility is that, in an era when lifespans were shorter than they are today, faithful women felt an urgency to be sealed by priesthood authority. Several of these women were married either to non-Mormons or former Mormons, and more than one of the women later expressed unhappiness in their present marriages. Living in a time when divorce was difficult to obtain, these women may have believed a ceiling to Joseph Smith would give them blessings they might not otherwise receive in the next life. 
it just seems ridiculous to me. Like, oh, are you unhappy in your marriage? We'll just marry the prophet. That's cool. That'll fix everything. Yeah. So, like, what I don't like is that, so, I hate that they're justifying non-Mormons. I get that if, I get if you're unhappy. Some of the women did, some of the women that Joseph was married to that were already married, they separated from their husband. I think there was at least two that reported being unhappy. Although, I have doubts on Zina's unhappiness in her marriage because because mm-hmm. Henry seems like a really great guy. Uh, but anyway, I, I don't like that they're saying they, they were married to non-Mormons because that goes against Mormon theology. Because Mormons believe that you can you can do proxy work after someone has passed away. And you would just leave them with their husband and then baptize him after, after he's he passed died. away and get them sealed. Like, there's no reason for Joseph to be sealed to women who are whose husbands are not members of the church. And if they're former Mormons, they already have... They, like, they should have already had the ability to be married anyway. Like, married in the temple or whatever. Like, if they're former. Wait, what do you mean? Oh, if they left the church? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then for sure. Just, like, there's there's literally no reason. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, point. I don't like that. Um, okay, continuing on. The women who united with Joseph Smith in plural marriage risked reputation and self-respect in being associated with a principle so foreign to their culture and so easily misunderstood by others. I made a greater sacrifice than to give my life, said Zina Huntington Jacobs, for I never anticipated again to be looked upon as an honorable woman. Nevertheless, she wrote, I searched the scripture and by humble prayer to my heavenly father, I obtained a testimony for myself. After Joseph's death, most of the women sealed him, moved to Utah with the saints, remained faithful church members, and defended both plural marriage and Joseph. (laughs) So because they defended Joseph in plural marriage, it's right, right? Uh, uh, Okay, I, I hate that. So women, so it says that women who are united with Joseph Smith in plural marriage risk reputation and, and self-respect. self-respect. So the thing is that I, my first thought was that Joseph Smith was also part of that risk because Joseph Smith said, if, at least to one of his wives, to he proposed to a woman and he said, if you don't marry me, I will ruin your reputation. And then in the local newspaper, he called her a whore. He's the one who's ruining their reputation and self-respect. Wow. I, I don't like that at all. And then like, Zina, they're saying, they're quoting her. Saying, you know, this is this is awful. Like, I will never be looked upon as an honorable woman. And then they're like, oh, but she still defended it. Like, she totally knew that she, her name was raked over the coals. But I don't know. I just, I don't like this at all. Well, when, and all this signifies to me is you've made a choice to do a thing. Of course you're going to defend that thing. Like, your brain is never going to say, you know what? Actually, everything that you've staked your entire existence on was wrong. Like, you're just... You're, you're going to defend your choices. You're going to be the, the, the hero of your own story. So whatever you do has to be the right thing, at least in your mind. So, of course, they defended it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hate that. Like, whenever we bring up Helen Marr or, or literally any of these women, oh, but she defended. She was a strong defender. Uh, okay. 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 And um, while in an abusive marriage, I was a strong defender of my husband, too. So... Cool. That means nothing. That just means when you are in... I actually have a quote from Glennon Doyle about this. Or maybe it wasn't Glennon. Maybe it was Maybe it was her sister, Amanda. Anyway, she basically says, while you're dependent on a person or um, a religious institution or your, like your parents, whatever it is, while you are dependent on that for your livelihood to survive, anything like that, you will not, your brain will not, like 
recognize that it's not good, that it's not safe, that it's not the place to be, that it, that, that person is hurting you. It will not recognize it. It will explain away any of those red flags because it needs that person to be good in order to survive. It isn't until you are safe and you are out of that situation, you're far away and don't need that person to survive anymore, that your brain will be able to recognize that it wasn't okay. So as long as they lived in polygamy and needed to be married to Brigham Young to survive, of course they are going to defend polygamy. They have to. Their brain has to defend it in order for them to survive. This is just maddening. That's very well said. Joseph and Emma. Plural marriage was difficult for all involved. For Joseph Smith's wife, Emma, it was an excruciating ordeal. Records of Emma's reactions to plural marriage are sparse. She left no first-hand accounts, making it impossible to reconstruct her thoughts. Joseph and Emma loved and respected each other deeply. After he had entered into plural marriage, he poured out his feelings in his journal for his beloved Emma, whom he described as undaunted, firm, and unwavering, unchangeable, affectionate Emma. After Joseph's death, Emma kept a lock of his hair in a locket she wore around her neck. What were your thoughts? Um, I'm, I like that they pointed out that it was an excruciating ordeal. That's like, but that's like it. Like, if he loved her and respected her so much, why did he lie to her? And cheat on her. Um, also I, I had a thought where he's, it's saying that he loved and respected, they loved and respected each other. And as evidence that Joseph loved and respected her, they share this letter. So here they're quoting a letter from Joseph Smith to prove that he loved and respected his wife. But there's another husband, Henry Jacobs, Zina Huntington's husband, who also wrote her letters. I think for, for the majority of his life, and she kept these letters. She even wrote down in her journal after she was married to Brigham Young that it was Henry's birthday on whatever day it was his birthday. So she's like remembering him. So like if they're using this letter as evidence of Joseph's love for Emma, why do they say that that marriage was unhappy if the whole time Henry was writing love letters to her and asking for her to come back? That's a really good point. Like I like I guess there we don't know we don't know that if they were unhappy or not, but it just the she the fact that she kept them and kept a record of his birthdays and kind of celebrated in her journal that kind of says something. But anyway, at least they're acknowledging that it was an excruciating ordeal. Like that's a good word choice. That it was probably very excruciating for her. I would like to point out that he described Emma as undaunted, firm, and unwavering, unchangeable affection. Emma. But how did he describe her in Doctrine and Covenants when he was accusing her of, like, what what was it when when she wouldn't agree to polygamy? And so she was, like, cursed and what was it? Do you remember? Um, oh, that she'll be destroyed? Mm-hmm. In Doctrine and Covenants, yeah, it says that repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah, why would he have to clarify all that if she was all those things? But also, she didn't stay with the saints. Um, she... Like, while it seems like she still did love Joseph, I don't know how, like, I guess humans love even when they're not treated correctly. But, like, even with after her marriage to Vitamin, she's still, the her final words were, I'm coming, Joseph. Like, even though she had had another husband. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting word choice. 
Emma approved, at least for a time, of four of Joseph Smith's plural marriages in Nauvoo, and she accepted all four of those wives into her household. She may have approved of other marriages as well, but Emma likely did not know about all of Joseph's ceilings. She vacillated in her view of plural marriage, at some points supporting it and at other times denouncing it. Well, I was going to say, again, the church's the leaders of the church at this time are playing word games. They're saying, oh, we don't do adultery. We don't do spiritual wifery. We just practice God's polygamy. And so, like, while Emma may have supported some things in her mind, I'm sure there are other things that she did not, such as him having sexual relationships with these women. So under the footnote of this sentence, she may have approved of other marriages as well. So one of them, one of the footnotes is Orson Pratt in Journal of Discourses, Volume 13, on page 194, and I want to read that because it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> so he's talking about the original revelation for plural marriage. He says, what became of the original? An apostate destroyed it. You have heard her name. Certainly he's talking about Emma. That same woman in destroying the original thought she had destroyed the revelation from the face of the earth. She was embittered against Joseph, her husband, and at times fought against him with all her heart. And then again, she would break down in her feeling and humble herself before God and call upon his holy name and would then lead forth ladies and place their hands in the hands of Joseph, and they were married to him according to the law of God. That same woman has brought up her children to believe that no such thing as plurality of wives existed in the days of Joseph, and has instilled the bitterest principles of apostasy in their minds to fight against the church that has come to these mountains according to the predictions of Joseph. So that footnote really does not support to me. It doesn't support that sentence at all. It does not sound like she approved of them. It sounds like she was really upset and hurt about it, but felt like she had to cooperate and then acted, it sounds very in like a very traumatically informed yeah. way. And so much so that she told all of her kids that polygamy never happened. And that's why the Temple Lot case, that's why all those testimonies exist, is because Joseph Smith III didn't believe that polygamy happened, so we had to go and gather up everyone's testimonies that it actually did happen. So like... <laughs> she may have approved of other marriages as well, except in the source that we're giving you, she really, really does not approve of any of these marriages. <laughs> okay, it also gave another uh, another resource right here. The Temple Lot case, part three. Lucy Walker says that Emma Smith, the prophet's first wife, gave her consent to the marriage of at least four of the girls to her husband, and that she was well aware that he associated them as with them as wives, within the meaning of all that word implies. This is proven by the fact that she herself, on several occasions, kept guard at the door to prevent disinterested persons from intruding Ew. when these ladies were in the house. Which is really gross. And then Emily Partridge's testimony, she was one of the two sisters, right? Um, so first of all, Emily Partridge and her sister were both married to Joseph on the 4th of March in 1843. Um, so Emily and Eliza, um, and then this was, she says this was done without the knowledge of Emma Smith. Two months afterwards, Emma consented to give her husband two wives, provided he would give her the privilege of choosing them. She accordingly chose my sister Eliza and myself. Just strange to me that she would choose sisters, but weird. Um, and to save family trouble, Brother Joseph thought it best to have another ceremony performed because she didn't know that they were already married to him. So to save trouble, 
He lied to her. Instead of being like, oh, good choice. I already married them. Or to have just told her in the first place. I often wondered if women, if other women knew who the other wives were, if they were all in on it, or if some of them didn't, weren't aware. But this sounds like, like the sisters were well aware of each other. Sounds I don't like, know how well, they would yeah, be. But, the, but they were all in the house at the same time. Yeah, that's probably. true. Um, and then it says, from that very hour that, that Emma approved of their marriage, um, Emma was our bitter enemy. So clearly she did not want them to be his wives. She just felt like she had to consent to it and then cooperated. In Emily's Temple Law testimony, she insists that Emma gave her consent for the marriage, but she's not able to recall in what manner she gave her consent besides being present at the second ceremony. So she, like, she was there, and therefore that means she consented, right? Anyway, that doesn't sound like approving. Or of, consent, yeah. Uh, yeah, or like that she could that she could actually consent to Joseph's marriages. Like, I don't so know. so to me, this footnote is is showing us that that that's a lie. She may have approved of other marriages as well. Here are footnotes that say she didn't. Yeah, here are footnotes that say that she cooperated is yeah. what it is, not approved. She cooperated. Yeah, which I think is completely different. Oh well, yeah. That's that's not consent. That's that's being coerced essentially anyway um okay in the summer of 1843 joseph smith dictated the revelation on marriage a lengthy and complex text containing both glorious promises and stern warnings some directed at emma the revelation instructed women and men that they must obey god's laws and commands in order to receive the fullness of his glory Okay, so this is the Doctrine and Covenants verse that I was that I mentioned earlier. So um, this is DNC one thirty two fifty four and sixty four. And I command mine handmaid Emma Smith to abide and cleave unto my servant Joseph and to none else. Okay, she wanted to have her own Little second husband. relationship. But if she will not abide this commandment, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord. For I am the Lord thy God, and will destroy her if she abide not in my law. And again, verily, verily, I say unto you, if any man have a wife who holds the keys of this power, and he teaches unto her the law of my priesthood as pertaining to these things, then then shall she believe and administer unto him, or she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord your God. For I will destroy her, for I will magnify my name upon all those who receive and abide in my law. So, So you just read four times where they use the word destroy, which is interesting because in the actual revelation of DNC 132, he uses it 11 times in that revelation. Yeah, but these are just stern warnings. <laughs> They're like, she was sternly warned, and then here's four instances. Okay, but you're missing all the other ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, she was dedicated and loving and just perfect. But you will be destroyed, thus saith the Lord, if you don't do what I tell you to do. The revelation on marriage required that a wife give her consent before her husband could enter into plural marriage. Nevertheless, toward the end of the revelation, the Lord said that if the first wife received not this law, the command to practice plural marriage, the husband would be exempt from the law of Sarah, presumably the requirement that the husband gain the consent of the first wife before marrying additional women. After Emma opposed plural marriage, Joseph was placed in an agonizing dilemma, forced to choose between the will of God and the will of his beloved Emma. He may have thought Emma's rejection of plural marriage exempted him from the law of Sarah. 
Her decision to receive not this law permitted him to marry additional wives without her consent. Because of Joseph's early death and Emma's decision to remain in Nauvoo and not discuss plural marriage after the church moved west, many aspects of their story remain known only to the two of them. Ew. That's, I don't like that last sentence. <laughs> because she didn't come across the plains and tell us about everything about polygamy, we don't know what happened between the two of them. Like, it's kind of her fault that we don't know more. I don't know. I just don't like that. What, what were you laughing at? I just thought this was really interesting. Um, the revelation required that a wife give her consent before her husband could enter into plural marriage. It's good of them to find that out after he'd been married to multiple women without telling Emma. But also it's stupid. The law of Sarah is stupid. I don't understand the point of having the law of Sarah if the husband doesn't have to abide by the law of Sarah. Like, so, so, okay, so you need to ask your wife. But if you ask your wife and she disagrees, then just do it anyway. Yeah, like, there's no point in the law of Sarah. It's just Joseph's way of copying out of, to look better to his wife. And this is in 1832. This revelation is, is much later. And he practiced, he started practicing plural marriage like 10 years before this. So he's just trying to give himself a way out. Okay, DNC 132.61. And again, as pertaining to the law of the priesthood, if any man espouse a virgin and desire to espouse another and the first give her consent... And if he espouse the second, and they are virgins, and have vowed to no other man, then he is justified. He cannot commit adultery, for they are given unto him. For he cannot commit adultery with that that belongeth unto him, and to no one else. Ew. First of all, belonging like we're property, but also like virgins. What about what about the women mm-hmm. he married that were already married? Uh, yep, and it says, and have vowed to no other man. Yeah, so Joseph's, the way Joseph lived polygamy is against his own revelation on polygamy. Like, several ways, because, yeah. Well, not only the law of Sarah, but yeah. Yeah, so, first of all, not getting consent from his wife. Secondly, this mentions specifically virgins, which means single women. Mm -hmm. And then also that they should not be married to another man. Or vowed to another man. Mm -hmm. So, Zina, that brings in her story where she was engaged to Henry. And Joseph says, no, I want want you to marry me. And she's like, no, I I don't love you. I love, I love Henry. And then... They'd asked and then Joseph she married to, Henry, and she was had been married to, to him for a year and was pregnant with his child, and then he pressured her to marry him. Yeah. So, and, I mean, it was already bad to begin with because she was vowed to another man even before they were married. But, yeah. but then she was married to him, so equally bad. And then last but not least, he cannot commit adultery with that that belongeth unto him. Yeah, so that, that just cops out of everything because if... If God is giving Zina to him, or if God is giving any of these married women to him, then he's not committing adultery because God gave them to him. And he told so many of these women that they, God told you that you were mine before this world began, and there's, like, no powers on hell or can take you away from me. Like, anyway, it's just really gross. Trial and Spiritual Witness Years later in Utah, participants in Nauvoo plural marriage discussed their motives for entering into the practice. God declared in the Book of Mormon that monogamy was the standard. At times, however, he commanded plural marriage so his people could raise up seed unto him. Plural marriage did result in an increased number of children born to believing parents. <laughs> so what did that have to do with Joseph Smith? Because he didn't raise yeah, up so, any seed. Yeah, this, this sentence or this paragraph is totally pointless because... It brings up Jacob 2.30, for I will say the Lord, if I want to raise up seed unto me, I will command my people to live polygamy. 
Um, plural marriages did result in an increased number of children born to believing parents. None of this applies to Joseph Smith. I mean, sure, later all those polygamous families had tons But I, I also of heard that in, in other cultures, children. it doesn't, poly, living a law of polygamy doesn't actually increase the amount of kids you have. Like oh. in, in other cultures, it's just women have maybe three kids each, I think. And so then maybe so it's he not just kind of has more. It's that they have less men and more. The men think... have more power. Well, I don't know that that's. Wait, what do you mean by that? Well, because you just have you have the same amount of kids, but you have the less fathers. The same amount of women, same oh. amount of kids having. You know, you end like up with breeding. the same. But you yeah. have four fathers instead of twelve or whatever. So you're just limiting the dads. You're just yeah. limiting the and they have the, the power gene pool. and they have yep, the gene pool. Oh and the power, yeah. And I see the what power. You're and if if women are property and labor, then they they the wealth. Yeah. Which they were at that time. So Which will increase nepotism within the church. <laughs> what? Nepotism in this church? <laughs> we we haven't had any other prophets named Smith since Joseph Smith. Oh of course not. No, surely Joseph F. Smith. And they're all named Joseph. <laughs> Joseph really Smith, Joseph F. Smith, Joseph Smith. Okay, anyway. anyway. <laughs> Some saints also saw plural marriage as a redemptive process of sacrifice and spiritual refinement. According to Helen Mar Kimball, Joseph Smith stated that the practice of this principle would be the hardest trial the saints would ever have to test their faith. Though it was one of the severest trials of her life, she testified that it had also been one of the greatest blessings. Her father, Heber C. Kimball, agreed. I never felt more sorrowful, he said, of the moment he learned of plural marriage in 1841. I wept days. I had a good wife. I was satisfied. So they refer to Helen Mark Kimball's book. Is it a book? Pamphlet? Or pamphlet. Uh, why We Practice Plural Marriage. And they literally quote it. Uh, though it was one of the severest trials of her life, she testified that it had also been one of the greatest blessings. But I don't know. I, I We read through where it's, uh, like, where the footnote is quoting from. But I don't see how it is a great blessing. Yeah, she's trying to convince this woman that it is a great blessing. But she never gives the reasons why. She says this is what's going to save mankind. This is what's going to purify help. Purify mm-hmm. the people. And save the generations unborn. Like, but she doesn't give any reasons why. I'm, I'm assuming that it's just because of the, the doctrine that in order to be saved, you have to be in a polygamous marriage. Yeah. And so just that aspect alone could be her, the great blessings, one of the greatest blessings, because one of the greatest blessings truly would be to be saved. Yeah, and ha- live in the celestial kingdom and whatever. But yeah, no, um, I'm not I'm not seeing it. Um, and she goes from there to compare to the, the woman she's talking to um, lived in or took care of a hotel or something like that. And she's like, oh, and all these people cheat on their spouses. So your your comparison is you either have to be a plural wife or you live in a society where everybody cheats on each other. Like, and that's not, it's like very black and white. And that's, yeah. And the woman she was talking to, I think I've, I read this correctly, where the woman said that she and her husband had always been very happy together, just the two of them. And she would couldn't accept, she wouldn't have been able to accept polygamy. But so, she, like, felt bad about it because this is, like, the better way to be. And I don't... But, like, how? Just... <laughs> I It just feels very much like um, people who... Uh, like, the Catholics, what is it called when they hurt themselves to be righteous? Or they, like, whip themselves mm-hmm. and stuff. It, it feels like there's this moralness to pain 
and um, suffering, and therefore we should all uh, go through pain and suffering to be more righteous, to be more mortal and pure. And I disagree with that personally, and I don't think that women of the two sexes specifically need to be the ones going through more suffering. Yeah. The decision to accept such a wrenching trial usually came only after earnest prayer and intense soul-searching. Brigham Young said that, upon learning of plural marriage, it was the first time in my life that I had desired the grave. I had to pray unceasingly, he said, and I had to exercise faith, and the Lord revealed to me the truth of it, and that satisfied me. Heber C. Kimball found comfort only after his wife, Violet, had a visionary experience attesting to the rightness of plural marriage. She told me, Violet's daughter later recalled, she never saw so happy a man as father was when she described the vision and told him she was satisfied and knew it was from God. I wonder why he was so happy about that. They're just, they just sound indoctrinated to me. They just sound, they don't like this thing. They pray for this thing to be true and it happens to be true because our brains are wired that way. We're wired to to keep with what we're being told. And And I don't know if Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball happen to find out that this thing that is going to benefit them greatly is true. Like, ah, man, darn it. It's true. Yay. Whoops. (laughs) Like, I don't know, that just, that the wife had a visionary experience, whatever's going on in her head, bless her. Also, what mother is going to give her 14-year-old over to this married 30-something-year-old man without having first a, an assurance from God? Yeah. Lucy Walker recalled her inner turmoil when Joseph Smith invited her to become his wife. Every feeling of my soul revolted against it, she wrote. Yet, after several restless nights on her knees in prayer, she found relief as her room filled with a holy influence akin to brilliant sunshine. She said, My soul was filled with a calm, sweet peace that I never knew, and supreme happiness took possession of my whole being. That does sound like being high. <laughs> well, and I don't, I don't know why it's not... Um, there's another wife. This is just not convincing me that every single person who hears of it is horrified. And wants to revolt against it. Like, I am not convinced that this is a good thing. Are you? That polygamy is a good thing? Yeah. Well, of course not. Every feeling of my soul revolted against it. And Heber C. Kimball says, I never felt more sorrowful. I wept days. Oh, also, there's another story with Mary Elizabeth. I don't know why it hasn't told this story. So Lucy Walker, it says she had the room filled with a holy influence, like brilliant sunshine. And so, like, that's sort of convincing. But with, with Mary Elizabeth Rollins, Leitner... She had, according to her testimony, she saw an angel come into her room. So Joseph said, I've been visited by an angel with a drawn sword, and they're going to kill me if you don't agree to marry me. And she's like, well, if God's going to give you an answer, I need to have an answer too. So she prayed about it and then saw this angel in her room, was totally scared, silly, and then so pulled the covers over her head, didn't speak at all. And then whenever she removed the covers, the angel had gone out through the window. Her aunt, who lay next to her, had said that she saw the angel go out the window, uh, which is also suspect because two angels go out windows. <laughs> angels do not go out windows. Um, but like, why did they not give that? Like, she, this woman because says that sucks. she, <laughs> because <laughs> it's just funny. Why not? Why not tell the story of the woman who actually saw the angel rather than the one who was, who who's filled with the holy influence? Because they were both high. <laughs> <laughs> but the one that saw the angel is more obvious that she was high. Or it could have just been. I like to picture the scene from Back to the Future where Marty McFly goes into his dad's bedroom and he's dressed like 
I don't know, he's dressed like a spaceman. And he, like, tells him what to do. And the guy's like, he's, yeah, the dad was convinced that he saw a spaceman and then obeyed his son. He just did whatever his son had asked him to do. So, like, it just made me think of that. Like, did someone sneak into the room in Mary Elizabeth's room dressed like an angel? Or was she just having some weird experience? Or both. Or both. You're way more suggestible to um, these weird kind of experiences when oh, that's you've had something yeah. put in your drink. Or when the or just when the idea is planted in your mind, like with the with the witnesses. Like like Martin Harris couldn't see the angel without unless Joseph led him through that visionary experience of the angel with the plates. Like it's just weird. That seems a little suspect to me too. Like why didn't the angel just appear to Mar- to Martin Harris alone? Who knows? Not all had such experiences. Some Latter-day Saints rejected the principle of plural marriage and left the church, while others declined to enter the practice but remained faithful. Nevertheless, for many women and men, initial revulsion and anguish was followed by struggle, resolution, and ultimately light and peace. Sacred experiences enabled the saints to move forward in faith. I don't like that. So... So it was followed by struggle, resolution, and ultimately light and peace. Because the alternative is to just stay struggling and stay in anguish the whole time you're in this doctrine. Because when you're in a church, you believe it. That's why you're in it. So either stay in struggle and anguish and turmoil, or you accept that somehow this is right, and then you experience light and peace. Like, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it okay that they had to agree and be put in this situation to begin with. Yeah, so I, I don't like okay. that the church is saying, oh, the wives liked it. The wives thought it was great. So don't don't have a problem with it. And also, are you not going to tell us about how great their lives were? Like, all you're saying is light and peace. And then they had faith. And they moved forward in faith. And they had sacred experiences. Like, where's... Where are the stories of the women having to work and earn their own money? Where are the stories of the children having to step up and be the spouses? Where are the stories of the the women having to move again and again and again? Where are the stories of the struggling wives who are having to share their husband with other women? Like, this was really, really hard for these women. And they're not saying anything other than, like, they struggled, then they didn't struggle. Like, and... and conversely, on the opposite end of that, they're also not giving us any examples of them having a good life being polygamous wives. That's true. They They just are not talking about them at all. They don't exist. They had light and peace. Like, no, they didn't. Or maybe they did. Maybe they had some amount of it. But tell those stories stories too. And all the stories I just referenced are from Todd Compton's book, In Sacred Loneliness. Like, each one of those. And there's way more than, than what I just listed up. But those are all actual stories from Joseph Smith's wives. Conclusion. The challenge of introducing a principle as controversial as plural marriage is almost impossible to overstate. A spiritual witness of its truthfulness allowed Joseph Smith and other Latter-day Saints to accept this principle. Difficult as it was, the introduction of plural marriage in Nauvoo did indeed raise up seed unto God. A substantial number of today's members descend through faithful Latter-day Saints who practiced plural marriage. But not from Joseph Smith. Yeah, so so yeah, not from Joseph Smith because the DNA... The, the DNA tests that have been done, no, no one is a child of Joseph Smith. There were plenty of women, I shouldn't say plenty, there were some women who thought that their kids were from Joseph Smith, which tells you that they were um, sleeping, sleeping together. Him. But so in Doctrine and Covenants and in the Book, the Book of Mormon, it says that, that polygamy is for the purpose of raising up seed, which Joseph Smith did not do. So Joseph Smith was living polygamy wrong. There's also that rumor that he had his own abortionist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's John C. Bennett was the doctor of the day, and he um, was well-practiced in 
and aborting babies. And so there's a whole section on Nauvoo abortions, and we can maybe we can discuss that later as a as its own thing. But he would there's rumors that he had that Joseph Smith would call on him if he ever did get these women pregnant, which must have happened. But I don't know. He how many children did he have with Emma? I don't actually remember how many survived because there were so many that passed away. Church members no longer practice plural marriage. Consistent with Joseph Smith's teachings, the church permits a man whose wife has died to be sealed to another woman when he remarries. Moreover, members are permitted to perform ordinances on behalf of deceased men and women who married more than once on earth, sealing them to all of the spouses to whom they were legally married. The precise nature of these relationships in the next life is not known, and many family relationships will be sorted out in the life to come. Latter-day Saints are encouraged to trust in our wise Heavenly Father, who loves his children and does all things for their growth and salvation. Okay, the first sentence contradicts the second sentence. Yeah, so church members no longer practice plural marriage, except the church permits a man whose wife has died to be sealed to another woman. So like President Oaks and Nelson, they live polygamy. Their wives aren't, their other wife isn't married, so it's not, it's not on earth, I guess. How do you word that? They don't live mortal plural marriage, I guess. But at the same time, the church still does practice plural marriage because there are men out there who, there are couples out there who divorce, and then the man can be sealed to more than one woman. So if a couple is sealed, they get divorced, they're both still faithful in the church, the man gets married to another woman, he is technically still sealed to both women. And this can continue on unless they break the ceiling, unless they break the temple ceiling. Yeah, and I noticed that it says, moreover, members are permitted to perform ordinances on behalf of deceased men and women who married more than once on earth, sealing them to all of the spouses to whom they were legally married. That's not true for women, right? Like you can only, a woman can only be sealed to one man. No, I don't think that's true. I think she can be sealed to more than one man. But they said, as far as I understand, is that the doctrine is that she will have to choose one. Of the husbands. I have never heard that. Oh, I think I've done it. I think I've been part of that. Because I've had... Because one of my grandparents is divorced. and But we don't know... You know, we don't know how to handle that. So we just sealed her to both of her husbands. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would... If she was still alive, would they have done that? I don't know if you... I don't know how that works. I don't know what the policy is. Like, if one of her husbands was deceased. hmm I don't know. That's a really good question. Um... But yeah, my, my grandma's grandparents in Africa, she's, she's got two husbands, so we sealed her to both of them. So, but one of them had died, you know, um, shortly after the birth of her child. Anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how that works if she would have been still alive. Hmm. I don't know. It's very um, strange. Yeah, so polygamy, it, so that was the end of the essay. Um, overall, do you think the church was, how do you think the church handled this essay? They were more truthful than I expected them to be. Really? Yeah. They actually said some things that I'm like, well, yeah. And if I had read them as a member, I would have been like, excuse me, what? Yeah. I did not know any of this stuff as a member. It's not exactly in the Sunday school study guide. Yeah. Um, I don't, I still think they were towing the line. I, or is that the right word? I still think they were manipulating yeah and they were hiding things and they were not being super truthful yes they were they were honest to a point anyway but not any further than they absolutely had to be right yeah 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 like this i feel like there is them saying we can't get past that this evidence is out there so we have to put it on our essay to so that you know that we know that it's out there um 
Yep, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, that was a, a downer to end this, to end <laughs> so this episode. So it ends the um, gospel topic essay, Plural Marriage in Kirtland and Nauvoo. So over the next several months, Jen Camp and I are going to be going over the plural wives of Joseph Smith. Um, thank you guys for joining us, and hopefully we will. We are trying to keep a schedule of doing this maybe once a week or at least twice monthly. Um, we have not been doing a very good job. But anyway, yeah, so join us next time. Okay. And we say these things at night. <laughs> we should just say amen on that. We should just say amen. When my daughter um, tells a story and she's done telling it, she says amen. Amen. Instead of the end, I wonder if she's uh, she's got those two confused a long time ago and has never corrected herself. You know, because I, I, it just means we agree, right? So, yeah. uh, one, A- two, three. A- Amen. Amen. <laughs>